0: Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-getters features straight-up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go.
1: Welcome. Hello, I'm President John Simon. Welcome to Go-Getters. I'm here today with Eduardo Gomez, associate professor in Lehigh's new College of Health. Eduardo is an expert in global health with a research interest in how politics and policy influence the health of populations. And he came to Lehigh earlier this year from King's College in London. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. So Eduardo, I've seen you on Zoom. (laughs) I've seen you on BBC. And it's a real pleasure to uh, be with you here in person. Um, It's an exciting time, I think, probably for you and for us. Uh, This fall we opened our College of Health. We have nine new faculty, of of which you're one of those, and we have uh, 60 uh, bright-eyed and eager first-year students um, to to launch our college. Tell me about your background. How did you get uh, interested in academia? What what got you interested in health?
2: Sure. Well, thank you, John. John, and well, I guess I have to start back when I was in high school. Uh, you know, I wasn't the most dedicated student in high school. I mean, I was a good good person. I didn't get at any parties or anything bad or anything, but I just wasn't dedicated. And I remember my father telling me at the time, you know, you need to really do something with your life and see what you want to do. And uh, I always was interested in the military in the Air Force and, uh, you know, interested in NASA. And so I thought, well, why don't I serve my country and go into the military? And that really started it for me. I went into the Air Force and it really transformed my life. And in many ways, I thank in the Air Force, in many ways for where I am today because it instilled in me a lot of things about discipline, about being committed and a team player. And when I was at the Air Force, um, they assigned me at the Air Force Academy, of all places. And I went there and I was among the cadets. There were very few uh, enlisted people uh, at the Academy at the time. And while I was there, I just got so interested in economics and politics, and I, um, and I found myself spending hours at night reading. I went to a community college nearby and, and just would spend hours at night reading, and, and sometimes I'd come back the next day in the morning Tired in my first sergeant would re- notice, and then I began to realize, you know, I, I just, I just am so interested in, in economics and politics. Why don't I see if I can apply for an early leave uh, to go to university? And at the time, Bill Clinton was allowing us to do that. Uh, you, you know, at, right now, you have to do a four-year contract, but back then, um, it, the the military was downsizing a bit. And so I applied for early leave, I got an honorable discharge, uh, and I got accepted to Berkeley, UVA, William & Mary, and I was dead set to going on William & Mary. Until I uh, visited the, the campus and uh, and visited UVA and Wayman Mary and decided well Virginia is for me and I was from Virginia and I was on my own and back then it was about four thousand dollars a year in tuition <laughs> so it was much cheaper so I went there yeah and- we'll leave
1: that topic aside
2: oh, okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and so um, and so yeah and so um, and so uh, when I got to Virginia I was uh, really engrossed in what I was doing and I took a class by John Atcher Very Gent in the government department on the politics of economic reform, and that really changed my life. I wanted to be—I wanted to go into law until I took that class, and that class really exposed me to politics of policy reform, and I was so interested in the topic that I created uh, the Society of Political Economy. <laughs> wow. well, it was a bunch of undergrads that got together on Friday nights at Monroe Hill College to talk about political economy issues. And then I started to see my roots of my teaching, because I would teach about books that we were reading and stuff. And then, um, and then I, was, I was so dedicated to my studies. I graduated with a master's and a BA. Uh, you know, myself and Mary uh, uh, another lady that was one of my classmates, we were the first ones, I think, in our department to do that. And that's where I got you know, my passion for research and academics. It was really my personal experience in the Air Force. It was really by discovering who I was and being outside of the home and, and, and sort of getting outside of my comfort level. My interest in health um, emerged when I went to graduate school later on uh, at Brown. And my, uh, my second year at Brown, I went there to study history of Brazil because I, I had been doing did my master's degree on political economy of Brazil at University of Chicago. And there was a professor there, Thomas Skidmore at Brown, who was you know, a f- world-famous scholar, and, and James Mahoney as well. And Brown has, uh, I think, one of the best programs, if not the best program, in Brazilian-Portuguese studies. While I was there, I wrote an article my second year in grad school on decentralization. Um, and it was published in a very, very famous journal on theories of decentralization. And there was a professor at Harvard who had read it. And contacted me my second year at Brown and said, You know, we liked your article. Would you like to join us at the Harvard School of Public Health for your last three or four years, writing your PhD and, and uh, you know, doing research and possibly teaching? And I said, Sure, absolutely. So after I um, finished my comprehensive exams, my advisor at Brown is James Morone, still one of my mentors to this day. He's an American health politics uh, and culture expert. And, um, and so it just the, all the stars aligned. You know, I had this invitation from Harvard. The, uh, my advisor ha- was a health expert, health politics expert, but was also a histori- historian of American political culture. So my approach has always been historical. Um, and so uh, and that's how I got interested in global health. And so when I was at the Harvard School of Public Health my last four years, I was in a very small group of political scientists. There was about three or four of us that were doing politics of health, global health. And, uh, and, uh, and, and my dissertation was on the U.S. and Brazil, uh, and why Brazil did better than the U.S. when it came to AIDS and obesity and looking at the role of international community. So that's how I got into, into the topic of global health. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: I, I, mean, this is, I mean, this is an amazing story, and, and, and I guess I'm joining our listeners, and I'm hearing it for the first time. I would say in our, uh, what is now a very interdisciplinary global world, it, it's a great story. And, and, and I'm absolutely certain that there are 60 first-year students at the College of Health who are listening to this podcast. <laughs> and, 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 and what I like about your story um, is how the the path you've taken and the work you've gotten involved in has is, is been sort of a self-discovery, passion-driven yeah. um Taking risks and moving fields and stuff and, and, and so since I think uh, all sixty of these students are now going to seek you out if you're in, <laughs> either in your office or by zoom, um, what advice do you do you, do you have for someone who is you know uh, eighteen coming to college, thinking about what they want to do, maybe walking in with preconceived ideas of yeah. what exactly they wanted? do yes. in their life. So what have you learned from your experience that you would pass on in sort of a mentoring way?
2: Absolutely. Well, that's a great question. I think the first thing I would recommend to students is to be open-minded and to take classes that uh, you're interested in and to don't, you know, of course you have your focus, uh, population health or any other or other degree on campus. But be open to new classes and new ideas and, and consider other ideas, because in my case, that was certainly what happened. I, I took a class in politics economic reform, and I really didn't know anything, and it just changed the way I think about things. It doesn't mean that you'll necessarily change your major, uh, but it just will but maybe open you to the fact that you may want to go into academia or research. You may want to go into public health service or you know, pop- population health research and so you, you know, it's, it, it, I just tell students to be just open-minded and to, and, and also another thing too, if they like a class, maybe take it a second time, maybe at the graduate level or something like that. I mean that's something that I did as well which sort of reinforced my passion. and And also be engaged in activities on campus that are that are related to your topic. So going to conferences, Going to workshops, uh, presentations, I think that that is that's really important. So that's what I would recommend. Yeah.
1: No, I think that's really good advice. So um, I think you're you're currently going to teach about uh, the history of population health. Yes. I've I certainly found in, in my travels that there's often confusion about what population health really is. So I'll let you take a stab at it, sure. really trying to explain to our broader community uh what population health is and, and what the outcomes are that are important that come out of studies related to population health.
2: Sure. Well Population health is sort of looking at the multiple determinants of health in societies. So instead of focusing on epidemiology of particular communities or, or looking at you know, epidemiological approaches, it looks more at the broader social, political, commercial determinants of health outcomes in communities and compares communities based on these multiple determinants. So unlike most um, approaches to population health or public health, uh, it is, it's interdisciplinary. So in my case, I, I look at the political science approach, politics approach. Others look at anthropological, epidemiological. And what this does is in the end, the outcome provides you with a better understanding of why we see differences between communities and health outcomes. Why is it, for example, in COVID that we see you know, uh, minority communities most affected versus other communities. And if we look at the political commercial determinants and multiple determinants of population health, that provides more insights. So I always tell my students that you obtain more understanding and more explanation and more information for better policy by looking at these multiple determinants of population health. Policymakers always need to know more about how the community matters, how politics matters, how institutions matters, how culture matters, to shape policy more effectively for the future. So that's what, um, you know, I, in my history and population health class, we go over the historical aspects of all these d- different determinants. And, uh, you know, this coming week, we'll talk about the international community and their policy impact. COVID-19, of all times, is really showing us the importance of studying population health and looking at these multiple determinants. And I think we've seen that politics really matters. Uh, you know, it really shapes, you know, what, how governments respond globally. US and Brazil have been working a lot in Brazil recently on on their COVID situation. And so I think that's what population health is. And I think the outcome is just better, being better, understanding population health better, uh, understanding health outcomes among communities better, and providing new insights for not only the scientific community, but the policy community as well.
1: So as you're doing your work on um, COVID in Brazil, uh, and, and you're thinking about various determinants, what are you uncovering? Um, what are you learning?
2: Well, uh, the case of Brazil, in my opinion, is very much politically driven as well. Uh, you have, uh, and I've written an article with uh, my colleague in Brazil for The Lancet on this about uh, a month ago, which I'm happy to share with you. In the case of Brazil, the state governments have been the innovators and the ones that have been most aggressive in responding. Um, We've seen uh, also that communities are very different in how they're responding. Uh, But I think in Brazil, politics and uh, and leadership has really mattered and, and the leadership's sort of been more at the state level. We've seen civil society being very aggressive and highlighting the need to respond and researchers being very aggressive and engaging the media and showing the need to engage in social distancing, masks. We've seen parts of of the government in Brazil, the Congress and the courts that have been very committed to uh, social distancing and mask use and sort of being as a sort of defender of this approach in society. Uh, and so different parts of the government unifying with other parts of the government to address the issue. Uh, and so that's, that's what we've learned a lot in Brazil, is, is sort of uh, you know, that the, the, the issue again is politics driven, it's um, you know, leadership at different parts of the government and, and the policies, you know, Brazil has a great, great public health system. Uh, They have for many years been innovators in in, in scientific technology and vaccine and development and vaccinations and HIV-AIDS, Bill Gates gave Brazil the award in 2003 for the best response to HIV-AIDS in the world, Uh, not many people know that, uh, for emphasizing prevention. So the Brazilians know, the scientific community knows how to respond to public health, population health challenges. And and so it's never been about the science. It's been about you know making sure the science aligns with the state governors, and, and and that's, and that's sort of been the, the issue there in Brazil.
1: I think uh, our listeners don't get the advantage I have of of seeing how animated and passionate you are oh. as, as you're doing that. No, I, I think I think it's great. Yeah, I, I just want to ex- express to the world out there that. Uh, but you also, um, uh, it, it seems to me that you're. Uh, incredibly comfortable talking about these issues uh a tremendous amount of passion about these issues and i know you're in the limelight a lot and 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 so do you enjoy talking to like like the media and getting your work out in a very public uh oh
2: oh absolutely and and the reason why i've always been committed to that is because i believe it's our duties as researchers to share our insights to the policy and 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 community but also community in general um, you know, we in our research discovered new things and new insights that that the general public and the policy community don't know. And it's, I've always felt my obligation to share um, this knowledge with the, with the with the international community, and every opportunity I can. Um, you know, and I've been very fortunate to be on CNN, BBC, a lot of different shows, and and and, uh, and to share my knowledge. And 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 these. The media is always interested in, in us in, in academia they're always interested in our insights and I think they, they they recognize that we see things that a lot of people don't because of the in depth knowledge that we that we have and provide and uh, and so um, I, I I do thoroughly enjoy it and and um, and then look forward to it and and, um, and usually whenever there's a an issue in Latin America on healthcare, or or even in the U.S. especially when it's dealing with new diseases from a policy perspective, is when I usually get you know the phone calls, and I've also talked about uh, uh, democracy in Latin America. So I've I've been in the media about Venezuela recently and and elections because I'm a political scientist, and and so. Uh, you know, as, as a political scientist, you're always, for me at least, I, I read about politics all the time, you know, so I'm always constantly, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so we're, it's, uh, you know, and, and it's uh, it funny, I was mentioning to, um, when I was in, uh, on the BBC recently, they interviewed me about the COVID situation in the U.S., and And I talk about this I talk to my colleagues about this is that we're we're living the research in many ways because we're always watching the news. so we're always i mean at least I, you know uh, those that watch the news every day we're we're, we're we're living and learning the research all the time and, and so for those that are studying policy of COVID, we do more in depth, but we're always ha- seeing what the governors are doing. we're seeing what the president is doing. so you know it's an interesting time to you know in some ways. You know, just being attuned to the news helps with the research in some ways. Yeah.
1: So, Eduardo, we're going to take a break from our conversation uh, for a moment and then we'll be right back.
0: Lehigh's College of Health is the first institution in the world to offer undergraduate, graduate and executive degrees and certificates in population health with a focus on health innovation and technology. The college will make important contributions to the world of health play a key role in helping meet the fast-growing employment needs of the health sector, and work to improve the lives of millions of people the world over. Learn more about the new college, its faculty, and its first class of students at health.lehigh.edu. Solutions to today's most challenging research questions can't be found within the boundaries of a single discipline. The new Health, Science, and Technology building will elevate Lehigh as a research institution by providing collaborative spaces where interdisciplinary research can flourish and serve as the home for the new College of Health. Learn more about HST's promise and impact at gocampaign.lehigh.edu.
1: We're back with Eduardo Gomez, associate professor in our new College of Health. I mean, you've spent a lot of time uh, probably in brazil thinking about brazil and 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 so uh from a very professional point of view but i'll bet also from a very personal point of view there are probably things you discovered about brazil that you thought were fun so uh so so why, why don't why don't we explore that a little bit of that sort of like your your personal side rather than totally your your professional side yes. so was there anything that you know sort of captivated you and your Yes. Your works in Brazil?
2: Absolutely. Well, I've always been an advocate of of students and faculty going overseas. I've spent a lot of time living in Brazil and Mexico, Indonesia, a little bit of China uh, in my research, and the most I've spent is in Brazil. So I I spent, you know, field work when I was in graduate school, but then later on, what I learned from Brazil was certainly the high levels of Inequality that exists within cities and communities, and so I know that that's sort of going into my research. <laughs> right, no, that's okay. But, yeah. Yeah. but but for me, uh, you know, living in Brazil exposed me to these things about the importance of, uh, of recognizing inequalities, but also the different cultures and sort of the similar things that we confront in the U.S. are also seen in Brazil with terms of different cultures and ethnicity. And so, um, you know, that was something that I personally always loved uh, about Brazil, and I learned a lot from Brazil and and, uh, and so I, I'm, I, I love those kinds of environments. Uh, but I also got interested in a lot of sports when I was in Brazil, and culture, and I learned uh, a, a wonderful martial art, uh, which is called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is a martial art that originated from Brazil. It was an adaptation to the Japanese Jiu-Jitsu system. Uh, the Gracie family in, in Brazil in the 1930s adapted it to modify it so that a, a smaller person could defeat a larger person if there was some self-defense issue. So it's a self-defense martial art. And I started it uh, many years ago. And when I went to London, I uh, studied it uh, under Roger Gracie. He was the grandson of Carlos Gracie. And uh, uh, Roger is a 10-time world champion. And I really loved it. It was my, my break from work every day. Unfortunately, I can't do it now because of the COVID situation. But I, I actually loved it so much that I started teaching it at night uh, at, at King's College uh, for free. And I went from three students to over 100 students in four years. And, uh, and, I, and I really, one thing that I learned from that is giving back to your community. And uh, as a faculty member, I've always believed in doing that and, uh, and encouraging, you know, to, to, to do things for your students, uh, volunteer. Uh, you know, it helped a lot of my students with their, uh, you know, a lot of different issues. I had veterans in the U.K. that were, you know, suffering from PTSD. And they told me that jiu-jitsu helped them a lot and, and sort of understanding because we, we deal a lot with breathing exercises and flexibility exercises. And, uh, and, uh, and so that's, that's one thing that I learned you know, uh, from overseas and, uh, and it's something that I'm hoping to get back to do once things get better.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, what's your belt rank?
2: Well, I'm an advanced belt. So Brazilian jiu-jitsu, there's white, uh, which is beginner, blue, uh, purple, brown, black. And so there's stripes. So I'm a purple thir- third stripe, which is an advanced belt. And that takes about, um, six to seven years. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu takes the longest of any martial art. It takes about ten years to get a black belt. So. Um, I got that rank purple belt with three stripes after about six and a half years and uh, of daily training, you know, it's not, it's not like any other martial art where you do a couple days a week. It's something that it, 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 it doesn't really, you don't have to do it every day, but it, it, it really benefits if you do it more more often. So, but I also did a lot of competitions. I competed at the European championships, um, uh, competed in, uh, major, uh, championships. And so it was, it was challenging. You know i'm much older than the average uh brazilian player. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people always wonder well you know you're you're you know you're much older than than the, the the you know someone in their early 20s doing this well i i just i just enjoy it and and it's uh it's a challenge and it, it was something that was fun and there are many people older than me doing it you know i, I think when it comes to sports there's no age limit i uh, you know, I, I yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I've uh, it's been so much, so wonderful to me, not only for my physical, my mental health I and mean, every everything and, and it's uh, I've done lost a lot of weight. I've always since I was in Virginia, always believed the sports and academics go hand in hand. You know, I always tell my students. The best times for me when I'm writing and thinking are after I come back from a long run or doing jiu You know, you're just, you're, you're so relaxed. You know, you're, you know, you're, 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 and your mind is just focused, you know, so. <laughs> so, so. Yeah, I actually
1: yeah. totally understand. Yeah. As, as a, a long-time runner, I, yeah. I totally get what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. You've written uh, a lot of articles. You've written several books. Uh, I, I'm, I'm more interested in, in, in probably what is, uh, um, the book that you're working mm. on now, which is a, a little bit less about, uh, you know, population health in some sort of ways. Uh, I understand you're writing a book about junk food and politics. Yes. So yes. Uh, so I, 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 I'm really curious what yes. type of yes. themes you're thinking about. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, can we explore that a little yeah, bit? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, I start off the book with uh, Margaret Chan, who was the WHO director, uh, um, and um, about her a speech she gave at the UN. She was from China, uh, the first uh, woman from China to be the WHO director. And she gave this wonderful speech about how governments are afraid to take on big business when it comes to childhood obesity and um, and noncommunicable diseases. And so I got very curious in that. What is the role of major industries? Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Nestle. And in a, in a climate where they're starting to see sales decline in the West as people become more conscious of nutrition, in the emerging economies there's a, a lag, there's a delay in this kind of nutrition knowledge. And so I was wondering, after studying obesity for several years and politics of obesity, how are these industries taking advantage of these new markets? Brazil, Mexico, India, China, South Africa, how are they taking advantage in ways that help them, you know, avoid regulations and help them achieve you know, their sales and recoup their sales and, and sort of profit and 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 so what impact is this having on children's health and the poor? And so I found, so that's what really got me interested and as a political scientist I was interested, how are these industries becoming political? Are they doing partnerships with government? Are they getting involved in civil society? Are they helping uh, do things with government such as even improving nutrition and even education about nutrition and, and exercise? And so um, I found that in this book um, that industries are becoming very, very political in these emerging economies. Uh, And they are partnering with government in many ways. They're partnering with civil society. They're doing, you know, uh, and and they're also becoming part of the culture. In Mexico, Coca-Cola, for example, is a very strong part of the culture. They even have a national Coca-Cola museum uh, in the downtown area. They have, you know, in many ways, Coca-Cola has been adopted into the local religions. So it's about how these industries are becoming political and how what impact this is having on regulations, but especially the impact on uh, most vulnerable populations, children and the poor. Um, You know, of course, I, I, you know, I I don't argue that you know, you know, adults are free to make their choices on what they want to drink, and if they like Coca-Cola, that you know, that's fine. But what I'm really more concerned about is 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 how this is in influencing the most vulnerable populations in terms of marketing in terms of sales and uh, and so this is what this book is about and it looks at uh, it's a first book that that applies political science interest group theory providing a framework to help explain uh, these issues in the emerging economies
1: I look forward to actually uh, reading that book and and, and I suspect that there's another media tour in, in your future. I, yeah. I, think, I think there will be a you know, tremendous interest uh, in this work when, when this book is, uh, is actually released in the summer. So, uh, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so I wish you really good luck in finishing it up. I, I, I know what the last legs of book production involve, and it's... Uh,
2: oh, it's a yeah, challenge. It's, it's a challenge. It, it, it <laughs> is a challenge. Well, you know, challenge. as I always tell people, books are... Books are like a marathon. You have to you have to keep going no matter what. I mean, if, if some days, nights, weekends, you have to do it. You yes. know, and and uh, but when you're passionate about something, you know, yeah. it's easier. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. The the reward is when you can hold it in your hand. Yes, and, yes, and, absolutely. And you, and you know the 26.2 miles is done. So uh, so let's pivot for a second to the College of Health. Um, I think it's amazing. This is a college that's like a whiteboard. I mean, Whitney as dean, the nine faculty that are here today, you get to define a, a whole new curriculum. Yes. You've attracted students who I I would say are huge risk takers in that they're your partners in developing this curriculum yeah. and creating what it is they're going to study. So. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. I, yeah. I think you have an amazing opportunity. So how are you? How are you approaching uh, sort of that educational philosophy? Uh, how you e- engage this group? I've seen many social media posts of all the students right up on the screen and yes. stuff like that. Yes. So uh, well, how's it going?
2: Oh, it's so exciting! So exciting! I mean, this is such a great opportunity uh, for me to be here to work with these students and being all of us being part of something new. We're all very eager to learn. All the students are exceptionally bright. They're very eager to learn. Every class that I've had with them, they're always asking questions because they know they're part of a new new college, uh, such an important topic. They're just very enthusiastic. And that inspires me when I'm teaching in the classroom, just seeing them how they're so committed to learn. And when I'm teaching about population health and history of population health, they're all the questions they have and how their eyes light up. And, uh, and it is, my approach is I've always been very creative in my teaching and sort of lecturing but also talking to them about their ideas and I want to make sure that I'm always getting their feedback and ideas and especially on how to improve the program. You know, I was director of the, uh, uh, of the Bachelor of Science degree in Population Health. Um, that's something I'm very passionate about, uh, organizing uh, activities to learn about how they're interested, how they're learning, how they're, what, they're, what they think can be improved. And so that's what I love about being part of the new initiative is that students really drive a lot of our our activities and, and uh, this while well, seeing it. I'm seeing it all the time, and everything, and, and it's not only classroom, but uh, ideas from students on email, or from other faculty, and uh, and so that's what's really exciting. Uh, you can certainly feel the vibe in the College of Health, and and uh, and the excitement, and and that, uh, and I think that, and I've heard other faculty in the College say how motivated they are by their interaction with the students as well. Mm-hmm. So, it's it, it, fantastic. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. no,
1: that's, I, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And I, I also think it's a it's a time when sort of like, I'll call it the water cooler conversations don't take place, right? And, and, uh, I, and I'm curious, uh, as someone who's probably uh, equally passionate about health and political science uh, have you been able to make uh, connections to like the political science department oh, and arts sure. and sciences or, or do you see opportunities uh, for integrating um, you know this excitement and and your passion with uh, other groups on campus that are outside of the you know, the Fine College of Health.
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, you know, when I interviewed for this position um, as a political scientist, obviously, I gravitated and looked at you know what other political scientists are doing on campus, what other social scientists are doing on campus. And there are a lot of faculty uh, in political science and, and in uh, other departments that are doing related work. But but certainly, I want to continue to work with them. I've met some already uh, in political science and sociology and anthropology that are working on, uh, on health issues or politics issues. And for me, it's great because, um, of course, unfortunately, I haven't been able to interact with them because we've been, you know, closed down since March. But in the future, certainly doing, you know, attending workshops, you know, doing different activities together. I've always been uh, about building across uh, different colleges and and departments, and so that's really exciting for me. And I'm I'm interested in bringing together a group of faculty that are working on politics or society of health and so you know building our our community on that topic i think we have a lot of experts here that that are seeing things similarly and, and can address and, and also applying for grants and joint publications so there's a lot of things and so i, I really can't wait till to we explore these things and 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 to work with them so it's uh yeah definitely there's a lot of room there so
1: <laughs> yeah well and i think you'll find it uh uh a, a productive activity here. I, I think one of the things about Lehigh's size that has allowed it to be uh, nimble is the fact that there is a lot of cross college collaboration yes. and a lot of cross college work between uh, people who share, you know, common intellectual interests. Yes. And, and and it's 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 a function of its size. Yes. So, so yes. I think so I think it'll uh, well, finally thrive about the, here. Yeah.
2: Yes, absolutely. And that's what I really love about the university. You know, is it's. It's, it's, it's really the size really fits with my style, which is sort of certainly, you know, collaborating, meeting others, you know, working together so that, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree.
1: So, Eduardo, we have a, a part of the Go-Getters podcast where we kind of do a rapid fire set of questions and just uh, get your response. So if you're ready, we'll, 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 we'll go. Fire away. <laughs> okay. So do you like the white mask or the brown mask?
2: The brown mask.
1: Okay, do you have a personal motto?
2: Work hard, play hard.
1: Do you have a favorite U.S. city? Chicago. How about a favorite international city? London. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you speak uh, other languages? Portuguese, Spanish. Wow. Um, what time is your alarm clock set for? 6 a.m. Early bird, yeah. <laughs> what's your dream job? And this could be a biased question.
2: <laughs> uh, dream job, uh, university professor.
1: I think we can make that happen. <laughs> uh, so, what's your? What do you think is your greatest non-academic accomplishment? What are you most proud of?
2: Winning uh, fourth place at European Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Championships. <laughs>
1: uh, that's
2: cool. That's cool. I like that. Uh, uh,
1: building off your uh, book to come. What is your favorite junk food? Oh, dear.
2: (laughs) Uh, um, uh, We can pass on that Uh, one. Research pieces. Uh.
1: (laughs) So what's the last book you read? Uh,
2: John Meacham's book on Thomas Jefferson. Ah.
1: You can see the UVA legacy (laughs) is still still there. Uh, Last TV show.
2: Oh, gosh. Oh uh, uh, gosh, what was the last one I saw? You got me there. Okay, uh, no I, problem. No. I,
1: I, I don't really watch them what's the hardest thing about COVID?
2: Oh, I would say not being able to interact with people on a daily basis. Uh, that's been the hardest part. You know, I'm a very social person and uh you know you know being you know, seeing people, talking to people and being involved in activities and sports or whatever, and that's been the hardest part, so, <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. I can relate. Uh, who inspires you?
2: My dad, certainly. Uh, yes, yes, best man I know. Because yeah. I would say he is not only uh, a gentleman, but uh, you know, a hard worker and you know, always committed to what he does and believes in his passion and what he believes in and uh, just a hard worker and serves his community in many ways and a uh, very strong role model for me. Sorry, I got a little choked up. No, <laughs> no, <that's okay. laughs> but but never seen anyone so passionate about what he believes in, what he does for his uh, community, but also extremely, extremely brilliant, knowledgeable person.
1: So, Eduardo, I really want to thank you for being part of Go-Getters. Uh, I also want to thank you for choosing to come to Lehigh. And, oh, and, AND JOINING great. US IN uh, LAUNCHING THIS NEW COLLEGE. Uh, um, FROM WHAT I'VE HEARD TODAY, I THINK WE CAN ALL BE OPTIMISTIC ABOUT ITS FUTURE AND it, IT'S JUST REALLY GREAT TO HAVE YOU AS ONE OF OUR FACULTY HERE AT THE INSTITUTION. Oh, and, I'M HONORED
2: and, and, AND THANK YOU SO MUCH. IT'S SUCH AN HONOR FOR ME TO BE ON YOUR SHOW AND THANK YOU FOR THIS GREAT OPPORTUNITY. YEAH, yeah, yeah WONDERFUL TO BE HERE, MY NEW HOME.
3: MY NAME IS ISHA SONY. I'm a member of the class of 2024 and the inaugural class of Lehigh's new College of Health. I am a student of Professor Gomez and I'm studying population health and considering minoring in journalism with the hope of becoming a medical correspondent. This has been Go-Getters, a podcast from Lehigh University hosted by President John Simon. Special thanks to today's guest, Eduardo Gomez, associate professor and director of undergraduate programs for the College of Health. Thanks also to sound engineer, James Potkin, co-producers, Aaron Firestone and Janet Norwood and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. Go inside the episode at lehigh.edu slash go-getters to learn more about Professor Gomez, read some of his research and see him in action as a jujitsu instructor. You can learn more about the new college at help.lehigh.edu. Don't forget to subscribe to Go-Getters on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice, and take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so other listeners can find us.